On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Today is January the 8th. And on this day in 1959, a hero of the Second World War, Charles de Gaulle, became president of France. Uh, what followed, though, wasn't a kind of a victory lap where people expressed their gratitude for the guy who had helped to, to reclaim their nationality after the war. What actually followed was a decade of real turbulence, which ultimately led then to his resignation a decade later in 1969. So what do you do when you've been the president of a war-torn country who's then led it back to the world stage and led it for a decade? What do you do when you leave office? Well, apparently, you make for Ireland. Now, we're used to foreign presidents visiting Ireland for maybe a day or two. Um, Charles de Gaulle did not just come for a day or two, though. He spent six weeks in Ireland, uh, walking the beach, going to Mass, uh, visiting the sites. It was his first and only visit to the country, but nonetheless, the fallen leader captivated the Irish people who encountered him not as President de Gaulle or as General de Gaulle, but merely as private citizen Charles. And Donald Fallon is here, uh, fresh off some very good news for him, which we will come back to, because <laughs> we do want to mortify you before the slot is done. Uh, but good to see you again. Um, de Gaulle wasn't too different uh, when he came from the man who was sitting in the yeah, the look, the, the political leaders of Ireland and France at presidential level were not dissimilar in the 1960s. The big difference, of course, was that the, the president of France had a lot of political power, whereas the president of Ireland is a much more ceremonial role. But look, mm. both of them were veterans of nationalist struggle. Both of them uh, were rulers who you know stuck around in politics for extraordinary like, long periods of time. And look, one was a hero of the French resistance, as you said, and uh, another had been at Boland's Mills at Easter week. We sometimes forget just how long Dev was around. Mm. You know, it's extraordinary. And in both France and Ireland, you know, these were once young revolutionary icons who kind of became symbols of an old order themselves. If you if you stick around long enough, people fall out of love with you. And we hear a lot of talk in this country, Dev's Ireland, Devil Air is Ireland. And generally speaking, that term is never really used in a positive sense. You know, people <laughs> yeah. talk about the it's, past. It's, it's the comely maidens thing. Yeah, yeah. This, this Dev's Ireland, whatever that was. But, you know, Devil Air, perhaps, he probably never looked as old as when he sat beside a waving JFK. Uh, 60 yes, years ago well, yeah. this year. But the, the images of Dev and de Gaulle are something else. You know, two elder statesmen, they nearly look like cousins, you know, with a mutual respect, as we'll hear today. And yeah, what's extraordinary about this, you, you mentioned that in the introduction, we're used to someone like Obama flying in for 24 hours mm. or 36 hours. This was incredible. De Gaulle was out of power, literally just resigned, a big scandal in France. And then he swans around Ireland for, <laughs> for six weeks. And perplexed by it all, the Irish Times told their readers, this is brilliant, the presence of General de Gaulle in Sneem County Kerry is almost as bizarre in its first impact as would be the announcement that Chairman Mao had arrived in Bangor County Down to enjoy the amenities of Pickle Pool. <laughs> so <laughs> Look, everyone listen, was quite listen, perplexed ba- by this tourist. Bangor County Down is lovely <laughs> and I'm sure the Chairman Mao would very much have enjoyed its attractions had he ever had the opportunity to do so. But um, yeah, it's an unusual analogy <laughs> all the same. Um, for those who aren't just fam- familiar with him, we better sort of go back over his own story. De Gaulle's name and reputation um, was very much built on his actions in the Second World War when he was as much of a symbol as a man. Absolutely. Born November 1890, so a little younger than Dev, a decorated officer of the First World War, but really emerges on on the world stage during the Second World War. He's the leader of the French force, the French uh, Free French forces, and he's basically the leader of France in exile. You know, he's the he's the figurehead of the resistance movement, if you will, mm. uh, in France. And look, France during the war was a country of many different and competing political traditions, as it's been ever since. I mean, that that's one of the defining things about mm. French politics is its diversity. But when you when you go to France today, when you visit any of the big cities or even the small towns, you'll notice nearly every city in Paris has a street that carries the name the 18th of June, because it was on that day, the 18th of June, 1940, from London, that the Gaulle made that very famous radio address to the people of France. And he ended it with the kind of defining words, 
whatever happens, the flame of the French resistance must not be extinguished and will not be extinguished. And for people in France, mm. they consider that day, the 18th of June, 1940, that's the day that the resistance movement was born. But to hold it together uh, can't have been easy because, like, as you mentioned, he was doing the radio address in France because the country had basically already been carved up and was mostly being occupied by Germany at that point anyway. Uh, and so trying to pull together then the, the resistance movement was difficult enough to do from afar, but also because it was very diverse. It was maybe the, the most diverse resistance that there was in Europe at all. It's a mad political hodgepodge. I mean, priests and nuns, you know, French and Belgian guerrilla forces fighting side by side in the country. Spanish Republicans, I mean, that's the mad thing. When the Spanish Civil War happens, the left in Spain basically escapes into France. Mm. So you have, you know, Spanish communists and, and, and anarchists. And the first tank that actually rolls into Paris when the, when the Nazis lose control of it is, is full of Spanish anarchists, which is mad. You know, they, hoped, <laughs> wow. they hoped that Franco would fall next. That was their hope. Conservative French nationalists, and the Gaulle was one of them, communists, everything imaginable that, that's, that's in between those mm. two things. And, it, you know, it held just about, just yeah. about. It's, it's very <laughs> much proof of that whole adage about the enemy's enemy being oh. your friend, that they were only unified by a common opponent. Absolutely. And, like, the Gaulle emerges then as the, as the political force of post-war France. But what they, they call this, what they call this ideology in France is, is Gaullism. And it's basically, you know, the thinking of Charles de Gaulle. So, there needs to be a strong France that can stand on its own two feet, not to be subservient to any larger power. So he was, for example, in favour of withdrawing French forces from the command structure of NATO, getting allied bases out of France, even though the Allies had essentially liberated France. Yeah. You know, when it's all over, he says, well, France is back now on the world stage. Yeah. This is the France so, of Charles go. de Gaulle. Mm. Off you go. Uh, and he speaks about France in a way which is, again, to draw parallels with de Valera, it's not unlike the way that Dev would speak of Ireland because to him, France just wasn't this construct, yeah. this just patch of land. It was almost like a, a living person in we, its own way. And we do that. We've Hibernia or we've Erin or you know, Dublin's Anna Livia. We always personify places. And de Gaulle is very like that too. And the way he talks about France is so romantic. He's a great line at the beginning of his memoirs. He says, I have, a, I have a certain idea of France. And just like de Valera with Ireland, you know, his idea of France, his vision of France, he wants that to be the, the national idea. And it's very romantic. You know, he talks of France as being a, a person with whom a mystical dialogue has been maintained through history, which is oh. absolutely extraordinary. So that kind of language, the way de Gaulle talks about France, it can sound a little bit familiar uh, in this part of the world too. But I think the fear of de Gaulle and other people around him uh, in the 50s and the in the in the the 40s and 50s into the 60s was that there'd be this new global political order that's exactly what happened with the US in one corner the Soviets in the other you know there'd be massive dependency from all nations on one or the other and he felt that or his hope was at least that France could stand outside of that and you know unfortunately mm. it didn't prove to be true uh, Well it's remarkable just briefly when you talk about the, this vision of Gaulism and this idea of how like he, he sort of kept the state going and was able to rebuild it in his own name afterwards Part, just by the by part of what makes the French presidency so difficult to hang on to is because basically after France was reconstructed they found it so difficult to really define what the job of president was supposed to be that they basically just gave it every power under the sun because they were like listen De Gaulle can do that and every other president since then has struggled to try and keep the job going because the job was designed effectively with De Gaulle in mind and no one else including as we'll discuss in, in a minute De Gaulle himself but I, I love when something goes wrong in France and just declare a new republic yeah <laughs> grand the sixth republic it's fine it's fine we're grand we'll, we'll declare another one um, so the, the catalyst uh, for de Gaulle coming to Ireland then in 1969, arguably, was what happened 
1968, which is a, a year in history that a lot of people will know. It was a year in which French society seemed to be in complete crisis. Yeah, the God was in massive trouble by the 60s and uh, the students just erupt in 1968. And mm. he doesn't take that seriously at first. You know, May 68 in Paris, it's a defining moment really for, for 20th century France and for, for the student movement. But then it spreads into the factories and you get a, a general strike and the country seems to be on the verge of collapse. And it's this amazing moment where you have young people in the streets, you know, spray painting slogans on the walls of the universities. And then a million supporters of the Gaulle parade up the Champs-Élysées, basically saying, you know, we will not surrender this country to anarchy. And they're they're generally older than the rioting students. So French society kind of comes to this this moment, this loggerheads moment. Mm. And then he loses a referendum on constitutional reform. And it wasn't really about constitutional reform. The referendum was basically about the Gaulle. Yeah. You know, in, in, mm. in, in 69. And when he lost that, he simply resigned. And I think no one thought he would do that. People thought he was so obsessed with power that he'd hold on to it at any cost. But at 78 years of age, he just walks away. And more than that, he arrives here. Well, well which begs the question then as to, to why here? And, and it, it's a question which I'm sure could still maybe, maybe to be debated. And there's all kinds of theories put forward as to why, having been through everything he just did and being so bound up in the, the French ideal that he decided to come to Ireland. I think one reason people come here is because you're left alone here. You know, Harold Wilson, <laughs> Harold Wilson, the, the, the British Prime Minister, loved driving around the Irish countryside because no one stopped him to talk. When you think about the nature of politics between Britain and Ireland, it's amazing. That's that, what Liz Truss is know, up to right now. Yeah, Liz Truss is tuned Liz in Truss is, from Ballybunion is, is, is down in Dingle or yeah. something. But, I mean, when the Gaul arrives here, uh, the Irish Times have this great... They say, who... Uh, this man in his own mind and those of many of his contemporaries is the very embodiment of France can be found driving down the back roads of Kerry or Galway in search of solitude. It's absolutely <laughs> amazing. Lovely and blood. he had this kind of distant Irish blood, the, the, the McCartan family in County Down. He was a little bit interested in that, but not, not too much, but it, the standards were used to from politicians. And I think it was that chance to go somewhere where he'd just be, be left alone. So he's the perfect tourist. You know, he, he visits the home of Daniel O'Connell. Uh, Derry Land mm. House. He had a relation well, who'd written which a book is on O'Connell. Well worth a visit, actually. It's a really nice oh, spot fantastic. to go down to. Yeah. And he signs the guest book uh, in French, but he signs it in honour of Daniel O'Connell, the liberator from Charles de Gaulle. And it's kind of like he's he's saying, I'm the French Daniel O'Connell, you mm. know, in some ways. This symbolic moment of, of going to that to that house. But there's a great story. He's a towering figure. He's a very, very big man. And when he arrives in, in Connemara, remember he's in his 70s, in his late 70s, mm. but he's still towering over everyone. Uh, around him. The story is the Cashel House Hotel in Connemara. They were told the week in advance that he was coming. They didn't have a bed big enough for the six foot six man. So, quote, they tied a single bed to the bottom of their biggest double, stitched two mattresses together and sewed new sheets. <laughs> which is <laughs> wow. extraordinary. So you don't just have a king-sized bed, you've got a goal-sized bed. Uh, I love that ingenuity, at least if nothing else. Um, his visit is still remembered today uh, in County Kerry, which, um, as, as many visitors do, uh, is a place that captivated him and w- with which he fell in love pretty quickly. Oh, I mean, I was down there on, on, on Stephen's Day and Kerry is such an easy place to fall in love with, isn't it? And mm. that, that's what happens with Charles de Gaulle and this you know, private citizen. He goes to Oris and Uchtron, he goes to Dublin Castle, but I think ultimately it's, it, it's Kerry where he's at its happiest. And uh, Sylvie Kleinman, a historian of France, she's a great line. He left the Elysee Paris and disappeared from public view, resurfing probably where the French least expected him to be, stretching his very long legs on a Kerry beach. Mm. And down in Sneem, County Kerry, there's a, a monument, a bronze plaque of the general mounted on local stone. And these really nice words he had about Ireland after that visit, he said, at this grave moment of my long life, I found here what I sought to be face to face with myself. Ireland gave me that in the most delicate, the most friendly way. I mean, Bort, lovely. Bort Fulcher couldn't coin something no. as beautiful as that. And, you know, he died the following year 
1970. But and they're still obsessed with them in France, a little bit like we are here. You know, we had that book from Ferreter judging Dev, and we've mm. had so much documentaries and stuff around Dev, our own Longfella. You know, the French are still trying to make making up their minds yeah. how they feel about the Gaul and the Gauls, France. I'd say the thing which is most striking is that a lot of people would only love the idea of being able to spend six weeks at a time just knocking around <laughs> Kerry, that if only they had so few commitments uh, knocking around that if they've just, you know, just stood down from the most stressful, the most authoritative job they're ever going to have that they decide to, to break away and just take that longer break. I'm sure many people would love to be able to do that. Um, I said at the start that we were going to mortify it uh, for just a little bit. Uh, you had some really nice news this week. I did, yeah. Tree Castles Burning was voted the Easton's Reader's Favourite Book of last year, Hooray. which was great. And uh, yeah, well done to, to New Island Books who had the faith in it and who got it out in the shelves. And who kept it on the shelves, which for you know an, an independent publisher, that's not always the easiest thing to do. But thanks to the the, the book reading people of Ireland for that that's for that award, a sign of the modesty of the man that he congratulated the publisher <laughs> and, and didn't didn't sort of take a little victory lap for himself. Uh, we will make it take a victory lap. It's a it's a great thing to be able to achieve. And congratulations to you. And thanks to anyone who might be a regular listener who did decide to pop on and have a vote in that Easton's poll uh, after some of uh, Donald's previous appearances. But delight, d- thrilled for you, uh, and long may it last. And I'm sure just the the first of a long line of award winning tomes and in fact it is the latest in a long line of tomes from Donald <laughs> Fallon anyway because not only is he the author of the Easton's book of the year Three Castles Burning which is a history of Dublin uh, in 12 streets he's also the co-author of the Community Me books and of Henrietta Street from Tenement to Suburbia and some other ones which are now sadly out of print but you might find if you're prepared to <laughs> shell out enough shekels in some deluxe uh, secondhand bookstores he's also the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast which is about the history of Dublin uh, where you'll find anywhere uh, you get your audio online on the record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.